Love is a powerful thing, isn't it? Love is the most powerful thing in the whole universe when you think about it. Well, we are really glad that you're here again today, and we pray that you feel loved, uh, particularly today, uh, and welcomed as well. Maybe some of you uh, were wondering, well, we have a few extra things up on the stage today, a little bit extra decor. Maybe you noticed that we had a disco ball going during worship. That's not normal here, but if you didn't notice it, that's awesome, because you think that we should just maybe do that all the time and just have a disco ball uh, going for worship as well. That is from our daddy-daughter dance that we had. Speaking of love being in the air, there was a lot of love in the air. There was a lot of cuteness in the air a couple nights ago here on Friday night. We had over 60 uh, little girls age two all the way up to sixth grade and their dads or their grandpas or a significant uh, father figure in their life uh, dancing the night away. And it was so much fun. So that's why we have a little bit extra decor uh, around today. So you could say that uh, this Valentine's Day time, this Valentine's Day week, love is in the air. Love is all around, as the opening clip that you saw there. That's from a film that came out quite a while ago now called Love Actually, and I, I, I'm captivated by the first minute and a half there, just the opening credits. I don't normally cry during the opening credits to movies, uh, but for some reason, that one gets to me. I don't recommend the rest of the movie if you're looking for a great family feature film tonight. Don't, don't do that. But uh, the first minute and a half is awesome. Uh, I love of that, and, it, and it, I think it captivates us. Why is that? I think deep down inside we long for that. We long for what you just saw, and it's to love and to be loved. To not just be loved, but to be known and loved, to be accepted for who we are. Like whether you've said it out loud or whether you've admitted it, whether you've thought about it recently, every single one of us, every day when we wake up in the morning, we have a built-in longing, a craving, a created desire that God has put in us to be loved. Not superficially, but for who we really are, to be fully known, to be fully vulnerable, to be fully known, and to be loved. And if you want a picture of that, I mean, just go to any arrivals gate at the airport, right? How many of you have ever waited for somebody at the arrivals gate at Des Moines, the Des Moines airport, right? Or experienced that, or maybe you've been the one coming down, right? I remember being there one time, uh, waiting for Tiffany to come home from a trip, and there's, you know, kids waiting for their parents, and parents waiting for their kids, and oftentimes you see refugee families uh, coming in here to Des Moines as well, which is such a cool thing to see them uh, welcomed in uh, as well. There's so much love in the air. Love is all around, but as the clip said, it's not just romantic love uh, this morning, it's all kinds of love. And the problem is, unfortunately, is that this time of year in and around Valentine's Day kind of gets painted in this broad stroke, well, that unless you have a significant other, unless you're in a romantic relationship, then you can't really enjoy Valentine's Day uh, in that way. It's just for those that are in that kind of relationship. Instead, it's helpful to be reminded, especially by the God that created love, who is love, that love is much bigger and more complex and more diverse than that. We get incredible mileage out of this word love, don't we? We just say, I love this and I love that. I can say, I love somebody in my family, and in the same sentence say, I love this new show on Netflix and I love my new pair of pants, right? We just use this word love interchangeably. In the same sentence, I can say, I love my wife and I love tacos? Like, how does that work, right? No wonder that our culture is a little bit confused when we use the word love. And it's not just on Valentine's Day, but just in our world, in our culture. I met a couple a few weeks ago that is uh, regular attenders here. They just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And I said, you still love each other? <laughs> I said, yeah. They said, we're more in love today than we were on the day we got married. And so you have that. We are in love after 50 years of marriage that because they've worked at it. And then you talk to other couples 
Unfortunately, they're going through some rocky times in their relationship, and I hear couples say, well, you know, after 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, we just fell out of love. How does that work? How can we use that same word interchangeably and have it mean the same thing? So I wonder, how would you fill in that blank this morning? Love is what? What does love mean to you? If you had to fill in that blank, love is fill in the blank. And instead of trying to navigate these waters on our own, it might be important that we go back to the source, that we go back to the one who created it. So we're going to start in the book of 1 John chapter 4. The Apostle John puts it this way. Let's read it nice and loud together in that you've been awake for a while, you shoveled your driveway, and you have so much energy. Let me hear it this morning, all right? Let's read it together. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So right away, there's two things we learn before the train goes farther down the tracks this morning in this message. There's two things we know for sure. Number one, we did not create love. Humans did not invent love. It's not a human invention. It's not something that we came up with and said, well, we get to define what it is. And I want love to mean this, and I want love to mean we don't get to do that. We didn't create love. And number two, God didn't just poof, create this idea of love. God is love, is what John says. All throughout the book of 1 John is all about love. God is love. It's his very essence and nature of his character is love. And so right away, we answer that question, right? All these songs, what is love, right? I want to know what love is. All of these songs that you hear on the radio, right? The answer to that, look no further than Jesus Christ. If you want to know what love looks like, if you want to know what it looks like to truly love someone, you look at the person of Jesus. That's love. And so we answer that question, and yet we're still confused. We go back to the source. If we want to learn what it means to love our spouse well, a friend well, our small group well, your kids well, whatever it is, whatever age they are, if we want to learn to love well, we got to lean in to the heart of God. And we go to his word, and we discover that just in the Bible— just in the Bible, love is that word love is used 310 times, right? The Bible has a lot to say about love. And because the Bible, the Old Testament is primarily written in Hebrew, the New Testament is primary, primarily written in Greek, even that word gets translated a little bit different. For our one English word of love, there are six different, six different Greek words that mean love as well. And so when we say love, that's why we get so confused because it was never meant to just be used in that one way. I'm going to focus on three of those uses out of the six this morning. So when you hear the word love talked about primarily in the New Testament, chances are it's in one of these three ways. And so the first one, go ahead and go to the next slide. The first one is philia. Everybody say philia. Philia. Philia is like an affectionate regard, a friendship between friends. It's like a brotherly or a sisterly love. This is where we get philia, Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love, right? That's where they get that name. It's, 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 it's a brotherly, it's a sibling type of love. Or maybe if you have a BFF, right? If you have a best friend, right? That's that kind of love. Everybody say philia. Philia, that's that kind of love. Or if I, somebody comes up to you in worship and says, hey, brother, hey, sister, right? Hey, I mean, brother in Christ, sister in Christ. That's a philia kind of love. It's not a romantic love, but our next one is. Our next type of love is eros. Everybody say eros. Eros is a love, mostly of the sexual passion. This is where we get the English word erotic. All right, now I have your attention. That's great. All right. If anybody was nodding off, now I have your attention for sure, right? Some of you are like, 
can the pastor say that in church, right? Can the pastor talk about sex in church? Absolutely we can. It's in the Bible, right? Sometimes we get this complex and we believe this lie that somehow God is ashamed of when we talk about sex at church, right? God invented marriage. God invented sex. God invented romance. God invented love. He is love. He created these things so that he could steal our joy and not let us enjoy them whatsoever. Like, no, right? He created these things so that we could enjoy them. That is eros. That is that romantic love. And sometimes we get this idea that somehow God is like this sexual prude, and he's like, oh, you talked about sex in church. How dare you? Like, have you read the book Song of Songs, right? Have you, seriously, you should go home and read it. Not with your kids, out loud, but you should read it. Right? And then kind of translate for your kids a little bit, right? If you're struggling parents giving the talk, start with a song of songs and you can just talk about deer and gazelles jumping over the hills, right? So that is a thing. It's in the Bible and we don't need to be ashamed about it, but God created these things for our enjoyment, so much so that he placed eros or erotic kind of love in the boundaries of a committed marriage relationship, not to steal our joy so that we could enjoy that kind of love to the fullest, without guilt, without shame, without pain, without heartache, which unfortunately, if we went around the room, that may describe a lot of your relationships with significant others or marriage or romance in that kind of eros type of love in the past. Man, if you think scripture has nothing to say about your love life, read again, 310 times. So that's eros, but there's another word, and that eros is another sermon for another day. We'll leave that there. The last one uh, type of love that is talked about in the New Testament is agape. Everybody say agape. Agape. Agape is the highest form of love, often used for God and his children. The ancient text, this is the type of love that was used to describe parents' love for their children. It's a self-sacrificing love. Agape love as opposed to some of the other ones, expects nothing in return. The essence of agape love is that I'm going to give it regardless of whether I get anything back. That is agape love, normally talking about a parent-child relationship. Do we have any parents in the room today, kids of any age? Raise your hands, loud and proud of parents. Okay, how many of you uh, have parents? Okay, all of you, I, I remember that, right? As parents, um, do you remember that moment Maybe with your first child, if you have several children, if your first child that you, that the doctor and nurse put them in your arms and you held them for the first time, or maybe if you're that lucky uncle or aunt or you have that special relationship or as a grandparent and you got to hold your grandchild for the first time, it's not even a, a feeling. It's like this deep, visceral emotion. I remember that with Caleb, our first, not so much with Evie because she's kind of a punk. I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> She's just three, and we're having a hard time. Uh, but no, I, I love them the same. But I remember that moment with Caleb and that feeling of, I would do anything for him. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? That's agape love. I, if it came to it, I would give my life for them. And that's the same love that God has for every single one of you today. Is that agape love. If you have ever doubted your value and your worth, and your significance, look no further than the cross. Jesus didn't hypothetically say, yeah, I'd do anything for them. He did for you. 
He gave it all for you so that there would be no doubt, and he expected nothing in return. That's agape love. And this agape love happens to be the same word for love in the Greek that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians 13. That's where we're going to camp out today. If you have your phone, your Bible app, whatever you have, uh, it's our goal during the year of the Bible here at Hope is that every single person that walks through those doors that you would come, bring in your Bible. And if you need one, grab one or a couple in the back, and that is for you. We hope that Sunday mornings are just icing on the cake to you open up your Bible uh, the whole week. So we're in this series on the, the book of 1 Corinthians. It's called Losing My Bad Religion. <laughs> Why is it called that? Because there's been a lot of terrible things done in the name of religion. But that doesn't mean that we just throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? We get rid of those things, but religion by itself is good. Jesus was a big fan of religion, but unfortunately in the church in, uh, in Corinth in the first century, there were some things that Paul saw that were not going the best. And so Paul is writing to the church there in Corinth, and we read in verse 4. We'll pick it up in verse 4. This should sound very familiar to you. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And then go on and on and on and skip down to verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is, greatest of these is love, right? Everybody say love, right? Say it like with your Valentine's Day feeling. Say love, love. Okay, just wanted to make sure you're with me. Love, right? Now, a lot of you are thinking, time out, John. That's the wedding verse, Right? 85% of couples probably choose 1 Corinthians 13 for their marriage. And if you're getting married coming up and that's the verse, that's awesome. This is a great verse to pick. It is so much more than a wedding verse though, right? It is so much more than just kind of a sappy commentary on love. It is so much more than that. Paul is swelling almost to the, to the crescendo of the book of 1 Corinthians. He's summarizing the first 12 books. And what Paul is really saying here is that as much as this is about love, Really, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a chapter about maturity. Not just physical maturity, like Paul is growing older physically just like we do, but about spiritual maturity because the reality is, is that you and I can grow old and never really grow up, right? We can grow old and never really grow up. You can grow old physically in years, but not change on the inside, and that's where spiritual maturity happens in our emotional life, in our spiritual life with God, okay? And so Paul is talking about that, and he said, when I was younger, and when I was younger spiritually, there were certain things that I thought were important. People's opinions of me, <laughs> right? My job, my, my titles, the size of my house, the size of my car, for Paul, the style of donkey that he had, or whatever the things that, you know, you know my popularity, my wealth, all these things that I thought were so important, my church attendance, my, the Bible studies I've led, how obedient or how religious I've been. And Paul said, all of that is great, but I found a better way. I found a better way. At the end of my life, Paul says, I've realized it's really about love. I've done far too many funerals or I've sat in far too many hospital or hospice rooms with families in the final moments with their loved one. And I guarantee you, nobody's talking about how many hours they worked. I guarantee you, at the end of our days, nobody's going to be talking about what your job was or what your title was or how much money you made or your political stances <laughs> or your social views. They're going to be talking about, did you love and receive love from the people around you, and do you believe that you were loved by the God that created you? 
That's what it comes down to. That's what Paul's talking about. Take it from me, Paul says. I'm getting towards the end of my life. It's about love. But more specifically in chapter 13, Paul is also addressing some specific issues that were popping up in the church. In that church, and you know, sometimes this happens in the modern church as well, is that people have these spiritual gifts, right? People have gifts of prayer or wisdom or discernment or prophesying or speaking in tongues, some of these gifts that Paul just got done talking about in chapter 12. And he's saying, unfortunately, what was happening in the church there in Corinth is that people were kind of lording those gifts over others and saying, well, I have the gifts of speaking in tongues, or I have the gift of prayer, I have the gift of this. And some of you are like, well, John, that doesn't really affect me. I don't really have that issue. I actually think for us, it's the opposite. And I, and I don't know what it is, if it's this Iowa Midwestern, like, aw shucks, bashfulness. But far more than that, what I hear is, you know, I look around the church, and I'm sure that everybody here is more spiritual than I am. Maybe you've looked around the church and said, you know, I, I just don't measure up. I'm sure that they read their Bible every day. I'm sure that they have no problem praying and they've got prayer all figured out. Or I look around, I see other couples and they're holding hands and they've got their arm around. I'm sure that they never have issues and then they never argue in their marriage, right? We start to conjure up all these lies and we can kind of start to feel less than. Well, that's what some people in the church in Corinth were doing is that they had this comparison game was stealing all the joy and it was disrupting the unity of the church. And so because of that, these people were just boasting out loud about their gifts and how God's given me this gift and this spiritual gift that Paul says it kind of reminds him of a clanging gong or a cymbal, okay? Have you ever heard that? Take a little field trip with me back here, all right? Imagine this. Right in the middle of church, right? So imagine that. That'll disrupt the unity of a church. That's what you sound like when you boast about your gifts. And some of you are like, eh, that's not really, John, my thing. I wonder if Paul was writing into the very culture of our day. He's, I think he might say, I wonder if social media at its best is a great way to connect in relationship. And I wonder if social media at its worst is a clinging symbol. I wonder if social media at its worst, I wonder if the political and social conversations that we have to have with each other that we conjure up at their worst is noise. I wonder if our cable news stations at their worst are noise, a clanging symbol. And when you try to argue somebody into heaven, I wonder if we just sound like more noise. Because whether it's online or whether it's in person, you could win the argument, and lose the relationship because you didn't do it with love. I can rant all day long, but I think what people are looking for is, yes, less yelling and more love. Paul says, in a world of clanging gongs, be an instrument of love. In a world of clanging gongs, be an instrument of love. Do you want your voice to be heard? Do you want to make a difference for those issues that you care about, whatever they are, social, political, social justice, whatever it is? You really want your voice to be heard? Be a really good listener. Our culture is desperate for people that will listen. I've never met anybody that doesn't want to be listened to well. In a world of noise and yelling and clanging gongs, love deeply, listen well. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm getting to the end of my life and I'm realizing all some of these things that I've been thinking are the center, that are the most important, are not the most important. Let me tell you what really matters. It's love. Love has always been the point and it always will be the point. That's what's deep. Loving people well is what's deep. 
Some of you are like, John, well, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to figure out that love is the most important. No, but I think sometimes the danger is, is that we think that being a biblical scholar is the point. From time to time in the church, I'll hear this phrase, I'll hear people allude to this, and they'll say, John, I just, I want to go deeper. Like, I'm, I'm in this Bible study, but that group wasn't deep enough for me, or my small group wasn't deep enough, or this church that I used to go to wasn't deep enough for me, or that sermon could have been a little bit deeper. So I'm going to go and I'm going to listen to another sermon, a podcast, another preacher online that's a little bit more deep. And that's fine, and that's great if what we mean by that is I have this spiritual hunger to grow. But the problem is when you're always searching for what that next deep thing is, if you peel back the layers, sometimes what we find is that our hearts just crave more information. But we, what we mean is I just want more information. I just want more knowledge. And the problem with that is that I can't help but be drawn back to Paul in verse 8, where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Coming from Paul, that should shock us. One of the most decorated, brilliant theologians. I mean, the chief Pharisee, the Pharisee of all Pharisees, one of the most decorated biblical scholars. He knew the Bible inside out, and he's writing at the end of his life, and he says at the end of the day, Paul says, if my heart does not beat for the things that God's heart beats for, I'm doing Bible study wrong. I'm doing religion wrong. I'm doing my small group wrong. Unless my Bible study, unless my church attendance, unless my religion, unless my worship, unless my prayer leads me to love other people with a deep, affectionate love, then my religion is not working. Then something is missing. It's not deep to consume more information. It's deep to believe that you are loved and let God pour his love out through you to other people. That's what's deep. There's nothing wrong with Bible study, but if it doesn't compel us to love people like Jesus then we can actually do Bible study and be unfaithful to the scriptures. In fact, some of the, among many, there's a lot of deep things that happen around here, not just Bible studies, but among the deep things that I've seen uh, these past couple weeks, we have prayer partners that are here up after the services, usually before and after the services. And as most of the church is walking out those doors, there are a few faithful people that stand up here and they'll never get recognized and they don't get their name on the screen or in the bulletin or anything like that. They're just here because they want to serve and they want to give people the blessing of hearing from God and letting the spirit flow to that. That's, that's deep. That's agape love because they'll never be recognized for it and that's not why they do it. You know what's deep? Is the Hope Kids volunteers that are hanging out with our kiddos right now because they're never going to be on this stage. They're never going to get a standing ovation, even though we should do some of that sometime. That would be fun, right? They're loving your kids with an agape love. Every week of our first service, we pick up people from eight or nine different locations all over the city. We have people that drive the buses, and we have bus hosts that go with them. And those people, in the middle of a snowstorm this morning, probably got up hours before any of us did. That's deep. Hear me say again, that's deep. It's not how many Bible studies you've done. It's not how long you've been and how what your church attendance is like. Are you loving people with the love of Jesus, expecting nothing in return? And that begs the question, so what does that mean? Like, what would it actually look like to be a church that loves with agape love? If we were to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and live that out, what would love look like, right? And so I was writing my sermon this week, and I wrote that out. What is love? What is love according to Paul? And I wrote that question in my mind this week, and I don't know why my mind thinks this way, right? But certain things just pop into my head, right? So I was writing that this week, and I just wrote, what is love? And of course, what popped in my head was, then baby, don't hurt me, right? 
And so, of course, this just pops into my head in the middle of sermon writing, right? It's okay to nod your head. It's okay to nod. Okay, you get it, right? Baby, don't hurt me, right? Great song. And you're going to have that in your head for the rest of the day. You're welcome, okay? Great song. What is love? The problem is they sing a whole song about the question of what is love, and they never answer the question, right? What is love? I don't know. Baby, don't hurt me. Okay, I won't. I won't hurt you, right? They never answer the question, right? So let's answer the question. What would it look like to live out 1 Corinthians 13? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. What is love? If we were to live that out, three things among many, many that agape love is. Number one, agape love is messy. Everybody say messy. messy. Agape love is messy. You spend any time in marriage, you spend any time in parenting, in a small group, in a friendship, whatever it is, love is messy. Especially for those of you that have small children in the home, love is messy, right? Because it never goes according to plan. When you try to love people, it never goes according to plan. Love involves risk. When we love somebody, when we put our heart out there, the risk is, is that it won't be returned to us. You cannot experience love without risk. They go hand in hand. To put your heart out there is to risk that that love won't be returned. I remember vividly a day that will live in infamy in, infamy in March of 1995. It was my very first junior high dance. Oh, yeah. Junior high dance. Anybody remember junior high? Have you blocked it out? Okay, you blocked it out. Okay, gotcha. Uh, all I remember is lots of zits, your voice changing, and cooties. Do you remember cooties? Does anybody remember cooties, or is that just a Story City thing? Okay, a couple nods out there. Okay, so junior high dances, though, are really awkward. You think of junior high dances, normally think of people dancing, and they're like hugging, you know, and some of that. But no, 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 no. There's no Eros love at junior high dances, all right? This is dancing at junior high. There's room for about three balloons in between you and the girl, and we're just kind of rocking. I mean, plenty of room for the Holy Spirit at junior high dances, okay? So what you've got at junior high dances, you've got on one side of the gym is you've got all the girls in their pretty dresses with their hair done, all giggling on this side of the gym. And on the other side of the gym, you've got all the junior high boys that are over here that are wearing those shoes and those really, really tight brown khaki pants that their parents forced them to wear. And they're over here, and in the middle, there is a large chasm between the boys and the girls, and we're just looking at each other and pointing and giggling and wonder what it would be like if some poor soul would actually venture over to the side of the ladies, right? Well, it just so happened on this night that one of those boys was yours truly. I don't know why I did it. I don't know if it was like peer pressure or whatever, but there was this girl in seventh grade that I had my eye on, and I was, gosh darn it, I was going to marry her, right? I don't remember her name, so she must have been something. But I'm over here, and I'm like, should I do it? And they're like, do it. Should I do it? Do it. You know, just how junior boys are like, go, right? And they're pushing me out there, and they push me out there, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do it. And you don't want to walk over because that means you're not interested, but you don't want to run over to the girl's side because that means you're a little bit too interested. And if you get shot down, then that's not a good thing. And so I think I sort of put my hands in my pockets and I kind of sashayed over to the side of the girls. And I came over here and I walked up and it felt like the entire school was watching. All the boys were like, he's doing it, he's really doing it. All the girls are laughing and pointing. And I go over to this girl, I don't remember her name now, go over to this girl and I, I don't know what I said, you know, fumbling over my words like, hey, do you come here often? Like, it's her school. Like, she comes, like, I don't know what I said, but something to the effect of, do you want to dance with me? I just laid it all out there, and I just put my heart out there. Do you want to dance with me? And seriously, I am not kidding you. She looked at me, 
and she just started bawling. She just lost it. She's just sobbing, and all of her makeup and her eyeliner is just running down her face, and all her girls are freak, all her girlfriends are freaking out. And as you do in junior high as a girl, you can't go to the bathroom unless there's eight other girls with you. And so as a posse, they all got together with the entire school watching. They ran to the girls' bathroom where they spent the rest of the night, and I am left there in front of the whole school going, like, what just happened, right? Because love is risky, When you venture across the gym floor and you put your heart out there, there's the chance it might not be returned. And nobody knows that better than God. Nobody knows that better than Jesus Christ, who not only walked across the gym floor, but he literally moved heaven and earth to come from heaven to a dark, dirty, and broken world, to a world that was his own, and yet it didn't recognize him. John chapter 1 says, the word became flesh. He came into the world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Jesus came full of love and truth, and we started sobbing and ran into the girls' bathroom. That's the gospel, because when you put your heart out there, there's a chance that it might not be returned, and yet, aren't we thankful that Jesus came anyway? He came anyway, knowing full well that his death on the cross, that there would be people that would flat out say, I don't believe it. And to this day, there are people, even people you know, that are saying, I don't want anything to do with it. And usually it's because we can't believe that somebody would actually love us with a agape kind of love. Love is messy. Love walks across the gym to the other side. Love might mean walking across the street for you to get to know your neighbor and build a relationship. Agape love might mean walking across the worship center after, after we're done today instead of just bolting for the door, going and seeing that person you've never met before. I hope you didn't come to worship this morning to consume. I hope you came to give somebody a hug, to give somebody a high five, to greet somebody, shake their hand and look them in the eye and say, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, it's risky, but love is messy. Love, maybe volunteers in, in some way to serve here inside, outside the church walls and everything that we do as a church, knowing full well, knowing full well that serving is inconvenient at times. I have people that, that start to get involved here at Hope Des Moines. They come back to me a few weeks or a month later and they say, John, this thing I signed up for, it's hard and it's inconvenient. And I'd like rearrange my whole schedule for it. And I go, yeah, that's serving. Love is Messy. Author and speaker uh, Shane Claiborne, he's kind of a recluse. He, he lives, literally lives and works with a lot of uh, the homeless and low-income community in inner city Philadelphia. And I love this. He says this. Everybody start, wants to start a revolution. Nobody wants to do the dishes. If that doesn't describe the ministry of Jesus, I don't know what does. Everybody wants to serve. Everybody wants to be a part of a church. Everybody wants to go on mission. Everybody wants to serve the poor. But if it means it's going to inconvenience my schedule, I'm out. Thank God that our Savior got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of his followers. Jesus did the dishes because agape love is messy. He wasn't expecting anything in return. Do you love like that? Do you love like that? Is agape love filling your heart? Agape love can be seen. It's, it's messy at church. It's messy at home. It's messy in marriage. And I know not all of you are married, but a lot of you are, and it affects all of us. Marriage, divorce, whatever the state of your relationship or your parents' relationship is or was, it affects all of us. It's a part of our story. 
And whether you like Valentine's Day or not, one of the things you can't avoid is how messy love can be and how messy we try to not make it look, especially around Valentine's Day. I don't know if you've been on social media the last week, but you see all these pictures of couples out to eat and having their romantic Valentine's dinner. Oh, he bought me flowers and, and all of that. We went to Target for Valentine's Day as a family. We buy, we find something that's under $10 for each other. We show it to each other. We go, oh, that's cute. And then we return it and we go home. That's our Valentine's Day. So now, depending on your wife, I wouldn't recommend that. But that's what we did, right? There's a lot of couples that love to take selfies and pictures and say we're out to eat and it's all great and everything like that. One in particular uh, that I saw, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. I'm a huge fan of Valentine's Day, smiling pictures and posts and all of that. But one particular that caught my attention, it's a pastor that I follow on Instagram. He's from Canada. Like, I know. Yes, they have church in Canada, uh, believe it or not. And uh, his name's Kerry Newhoff. I think he's been married to his wife, Tony, for... I think 30, 35 years or something like that. And this post just caught my attention in the midst of all the sappy Valentine's Day posts. He says this. I know a lot of people post sappy stuff for Valentine's Day. Here's a more accurate picture. We had no idea what we were getting into when we got married. Did you? I don't think any of us did. There have been seasons when we argued like cats and dogs. There have been seasons where neither of us were sure we were going to make it. Can we just pause right there for a second? unfiltered, unfiltered. We live in a filtered life where we can make posts and project an image to the world of the life that we want. We live in a world where we post our highlights. How many couples do you see in the middle of a heated argument in their living room go, argument selfie, right? And they take a picture of themselves arguing and post it, right? But we should because that's real life, right? We don't live on the mountaintops. We live in the valleys and in the in-betweens and on the Wednesday afternoons and the Monday mornings and the mundane parts of life. That's where agape love is forged in the fire of commitment. And that's what Carrie goes on to say. He says, yet I've always adored her and she's always stuck with me and we fought through the mess together. Everybody say mess. Yes. Love is messy. Every day isn't perfect, but man, they're better. So hang in there, friends. There's better days ahead. A word to those of you that are right there. A word to those of you that maybe that's where you're at today or you're on the other side of that and something's fallen apart. Your relationship status does not define your status before God. Your relationship status today, married, single, divorced, widowed, complicated, heartbroken, whatever it is, does not define your status before God. Take the filter off and be you. Be real before a real God. Two things I love about Carrie's quote. Number one, it's real. And number two, it just reinforces the fact that agape love is something that you learn in the middle of the mess. A love that's not primarily based on feelings, but is forged in the fire of commitment. One of the biggest myths out there about love is you hear people say, when I find the one, when I find that perfect person, then I won't have to work at it, and it won't, it, it'll be easy. I won't have to work at it at all when I find that one perfect person. And I just want to say, oh, wow. You're going to be in for a rude awakening, right? The very essence of love is hard work. And they agree. It's hard work, right? It's hard work in the nursery today. It's hard work. Yes, there's joy and there's happiness and there's all those feelings that are associated with it, but love takes effort. It's not earning, but it takes effort. Marriage is not about finding a perfect 
person. Marriage is about finding an imperfect person that God has called you to offer God's agape love to, whether they deserve it or not. Love changes people's hearts, not arguments. Love changes people's hearts. Agape love changes people's hearts because marriage is messy and parenting is messy and small groups are messy. I've talked to a lot of people that get into a small group and they say, I got offended, so I'm leaving. And I'll say, what did you do? I went to another small group and I'm about to say, you're going to get offended there too. (laughs) Because the amount of conflict that we are willing to work through will determine the depth of our relationships. No, I don't think you got it. Let me say it again. The amount of conflict that we're willing to work through will determine the depth of our relationships, whether it's in marriage or parenting or in your small group or friendships, your Bible study, as a grandparent, whatever it is, it will determine the depth of our relationships. Agape love is messy, but agape love also goes to the source. Everybody say the source. The source. An activity I'll do with a lot of couples when we're doing premarital counseling or when they say, hey, we want you to officiate our wedding. We're going to do 1 Corinthians 13. I say, okay, here's the exercise. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 13. Go ahead and go to that next slide. And in the front of all those uh, is, 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 always, always, always put your name. This is a great exercise. Put your name in there and say, does that describe your love for one another? And they're like, uh, it's what we aspire to, Right? And the reality is this is a great gut check on how we're doing with offering agape love. Does that describe you? If you put your name in front of those sentences, John is patient, John is kind, so I'll go through. Let's say it's Joe and Mary, and I'll say Joe is patient, Mary is kind. Joe does not envy, Mary does not boast. Joe is not proud, and on and on and on. And what couples quickly realize, and maybe what you realized, nobody can love like that. 1 Corinthians 13 is not a great wedding passage because it describes the love that couples have for each other. It is an aspirational passage as we follow Jesus and as we make this marriage covenant together. This is the type of love that's going to be forged over years of commitment to that covenant. Marriage is not a contract that you can rip up or that you offer love when the other person gives it to you. It's a covenant that you say, I'm in this for good. And that's how you learn to love with an agape love. It's messy, it's hard, but you have to go back to the source because what you'll realize is that nobody can love like that. And so learning to love and be a good parent and be a great spouse isn't about trying harder, it's about going to the source. I can't offer that love to somebody else if I don't have it. You can't give away what you don't have. And often what happens is we do something like this. And this pitcher of water, I guess, could represent the love that you have, the love that God has given to you that you can then give to other people. And a lot of times what we do is, you know, maybe you're married or you have kids or whatever it is or different commitments that you have. And what you do is you pour out because I, I, I well, well, let me say this. I, I don't have time for my spouse. It's all about my kids. I really got to help my kids. It's, we're just in that season of life and I got to make the kids the center of my life. And so I'm going to pour out and like, oh man, but my spouse has emotional needs too. And so I'm going to kind of pour out into them. And well, I, I just work with 60, 65 hours this week. And so I'm going to pour out more of my emotional and physical time there. I want to have a life. I want to have hobbies and a social life. So I'm going to pour out there. And then my spouse has more emotional needs. Come on. And I have nothing left to give them in the end of the day instead of being filled up you're what you're empty you have nothing left to give and you realize i can't just conjure that type of agape love up on my own i can't wake up in the morning and say come on i'm gonna try harder maybe agape love isn't about trying harder it's about you or if you're married both of you going both of you with your buckets with your pitchers together and standing 
under the waterfall of God's grace, standing with your pitcher saying, God, you're the one that has got to fill us up. And so if you're married, this may, I don't know, this may ruffle your feathers. Your spouse is your number two. God is your number one and your spouse is your number two. And that's why if you find that person or if you found that person, instead of saying, I found the one or I'm looking for the one, if you meet the love of your life, biblically you can say, I found my two. I found my number two. I found my number two. The most loving thing that you can do for your spouse is to have a daily relationship with Jesus. And guess who number three is? Your kids. They're not your number one. They're not your number two. They're your number three. And here's why. The greatest gift that you could ever give to your kids is a mom and dad that love Jesus and love each other. That's the gift that you can give to them. My mom, uh, our kids, grandma watches uh, them uh, every other week a little bit. And she was watching uh, our three-year-old Evie that I mentioned before uh, the other day. And she's, um, she's talking to Evie and just out of the blue, Evie goes, my daddy, my daddy's a weird man. And my mom kind of went, okay, why is he a weird man? And she kind of thought about it for a second. She goes, well, my daddy, he, he, he hugs mommy, and he, he, he kisses mommy, and he married her. He is a weird man. And I would gladly be known as a weird man if my kids know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I love their mom, not just with hugs and kisses, but by the way that they observe me listen to her and lift her up and encourage her and help her find her calling and be everything that God's created her to be. There is only one person that can bear the weight of being at the center of your life, and that is Jesus Christ. Your kids, if you try to make them the center of your world, it will crush them. They were never meant to be the center of your world. You can't vicariously live through your kids and have it fill your soul. And neither can your spouse be the middle of that circle. There's only one person who can be the foundation and bear the weight of being the center of your life, and that's Jesus Christ. If I'm going to offer agape love, I've got to go to the source daily so that I can get my bucket refilled. Because the other way of reading 1 Corinthians 13 is instead of putting your name at the beginning, go back to that slide, is putting God's name at the beginning. Go ahead and go back there. Yep, put God's name there. Put Jesus' name there. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not rude. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. And we'll realize that love isn't about trying harder. Love is not primarily a feeling. Love is a person, and his name is Jesus. And maybe we realize we've gotten 1 Corinthians 13 wrong this whole time. It's not some unattainable list that I'll never be able to achieve whether I'm married or not. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is summarizing everything and he says that list describes the very character and nature of God and that he wants to pour his agape love into your heart, that God wants to do his mission in you so that he can do his mission through us, through you as the church. It's not about trying harder. It's about daily standing under the waterfall of God's grace and letting him pour his agape love into our hearts. Agape love is messy. We've got to go to the source and finally... It becomes our identity. As we stand under the waterfall of God's love and he pours his love into our hearts, into our buckets, as we spend time in prayer and worship and reading the Bible, we'll actually start to believe that what God says about us is true. And love will move from being a feeling to an identity. It'll move from, I feel like loving or I feel like I'm loved today to, 
I am God's beloved. And so there I am with my little three-year-old Evie, and we're here, and we've been practicing for months for the daddy-daughter dance. I mean, we have been practicing. We've danced in the bathroom, in the living room, in her bedroom, on her bed, and everywhere we have danced. We have been talking about this for months, and we get to the daddy-daughter dance on Friday, and what happens? She doesn't want anything to do with me. It was a train wreck. It was a terrible night. Agape love is messy. I'm just pouring my heart out. Evie, do you want to dance with me? She hits me and runs away, right? It's like junior high all over again. I got a terrible date, okay? She just wants to eat goldfish and hit me and scream at me. She didn't want anything to do with me the whole night except this one sacred holy moment at the end of the night. We're kind of dancing. I'm within 25 feet of her, so that's a win. (laughs) We're kind of dancing, and she comes over by me and spins in her dress, and she says, Daddy, I'm a princess. Okay, that's great. Every girl here is a princess, right? She says that all the time. I kind of, like, just kind of, oh, whatever. I just get my phone out to take a picture of everything, and I feel this pull on my, my suit coat sleeve. And she gets this really serious look on her face, and she goes, no, daddy. Like, I really am a princess. Like, I needed to get it through my head that it's not like she's like a princess or she's pretending to be a princess or she's a princess when she has a dress on or she's a princess at the daddy-daughter dance or she's a princess when she feels like it. She's a princess on the good days, but not the bad days. She's like, this is who I am. Like something had clicked for her in the core of her being that her mom and dad have told her hundreds and thousands of times, Evie, you're a princess. You are beautiful inside and out. You are a mighty woman of God with strength and character and joy and beauty and you are are so pretty and you are a princess like we've told her that so many times that she actually believes it that is the fundamental core reality of her life i am a princess and maybe that's the way that god desires it to be for us that you would know that you know that you know You might be married, not your primary identity. You might have kids, not your primary identity. You might have a great job and a great title and a position, not your primary identity. That you would know that what defines you is not even your relationship status. What defines you is your status before God, and that is a son or daughter of the king. Amen? That you would know that you know in the deepest part of your being. That's what Evie taught me, not just on your good days. Not when you feel lovable. Not when you feel like you're a good parent. Not when you feel like your marriage is going well. Not when you feel like you have a lot of friends. Right now, right here today, you are the beloved of God. You're his favorite. Do you know that? When God came down like a dove in the Holy Spirit when the son Jesus was being baptized, God said to Jesus, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased, a.k.a. he's my favorite. And your father says the same thing to you today. Yeah, for God so loved the world. He loves everybody, right? He loves you. He is madly in love with you. You're his favorite. you got to go to the source. Again, and again, and again. And that is true no matter what your relationship status happens to be today. Your worth is not tied to any mistakes that you've made in the past or things that have been happened to you because your worth has already been decided by the cross. No one is disqualified from love. 
you are significant, not because you happen to have a significant other, because God calls you significant. And so at the end of chapter 13 and verse 12, Paul ends it this way. He says, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Remember, that's where we started. Why does Paul end it that way? Author Tim Keller puts it this way, and I think he sums it up well. To be loved but not known is comforting, but superficial. Maybe some of you feel that way. But to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. I mean, that's the junior high dance right there. To be known and not loved, to be rejected, that's our greatest fear. Ah, but to be fully known and truly loved, well, maybe that's what it's like to be loved by God, and maybe that's what we need the most. It's what you need the most today, regardless of your relationship status, and you have it. There's a lot of love in the air today, and it's God's agape love for every single one of us. You are loved, and you are known. That's perfect. That's a perfect love. Amen? We're not just going to talk about it today. Let's stand and let's sing and declare of God's love for us.